Morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for being here at uh, 1045 service at MVA. Welcome if you're online with us today. Glad that you're with us as well. Uh, this is uh, just a wonderful time to be together in the cold of winter, to uh, just be together with God's people since the warmness that can exist in some place in this world. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I just want to thank Corey and the team for uh, helping us to enter into worship in such a meaningful way today. And what a great message that... <coughs> Really, we are here for Christ, and that uh, we don't expect anything from Him. We don't. We're not owed anything. Uh, but what isn't it amazing that He gives so much, in spite of the fact that we are not owed? And and today we we rest and we kind of bask in the blessings of the Lord this morning. Uh, and a part of that is the people that are sitting next to you uh, that love the Lord and you can be encouraged by their presence. And some of your spouses just looked at the other one and went, mm. but I know I'm watching you. I saw a couple of the looks that just went around the room. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll let, we'll figure that out later. Um, there's a true story, true story of a young man who graduated high school and he said, there was a girl that I had gone out with a few times, but we didn't have that, we hadn't had that DTR yet talk. You know what the DTR is? It's the define the relationship talk. So they'd gone out a few times, but they didn't really know, are, are we? So he went off to college, and then he came back. He was getting ready to come back at Christmas, and he went, uh-oh, we still haven't had the talk, and I don't know if I'm supposed to have a present or not. So he stopped at a little shop on the way home, and he picked up a neck warmer. It was, had a little Adidas symbol on it, seven bucks, just to be safe in case she invited him over, and uh, she had a gift for him. So, all right, just in case, I don't know, but all right. So he got, to, got home, got invited over, and she said, I have a present for you. And he went, ah, good, I'm in the clear. And so she went and got a box. He opened it up, and he found out that she had overspent him by around $75. And so he puts on this really nice sweater and goes, uh-oh. And he says, I have a gift for you too. But it's at my mom's house. So they went out and got in the car. And she said, great. And they, he quickly took his neck warmer and chucked it in the back seat. And he headed over to his mom's house, went up to his mom. And he said, mom, uh, you know that sweater that we talked about that we got for my sister? Could, we're going we're gonna to start a new plan here. And so she covertly boxed it up and he gave it to his girlfriend and he was the hero uh, apparently he did have a girlfriend and uh, everything was saved um, he was kind of a hero wasn't he uh, you see he had given her the sweater out not of not out of love but to get himself out of an uncomfortable situation you know it is possible to do good things without good intent it's possible to do good things that look really good on the surface, but really not have the right motivation. I'd like us to talk about that a little bit this morning, about the alignment of our heart and our actions together, and how important that is, and how God is calling for that in our lives. Uh, would you pray with me, and let's just ask God to bless our time together today. Father, um, as I look out across this group, I see so many people, different contexts, different um, uh, uh, seasons of life that are brought into this room and I father I am so thankful that we have a God in you that meets us exactly where we are whether the mountaintop or the valley and everywhere in between 
I pray that you would make yourself evident to us today through the, through the word that we're going to share, through the challenges of the day. May they be yours, not uh, the words of a man, um, but uh, the spirit working in our hearts because we have sought after your truth and your truth alone. And we pray this blessing over us from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I had a great question come to me the other day from one of our church family members here, and it was in the form of a text, and I always love it when people are in the Word and they have a clarification question. I can't tell you how much that excites me. It never bothers me. It's never an intrusion into my week when someone says, I'm studying the Word and I have a question. It's exciting. So the question was, what does Jesus mean when he says this in Matthew 5:48? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, that's a good, good question. So let's turn to Matthew 5 and find out together this morning, all right? Matthew chapter 5, go ahead and turn there in your Bible. If you don't have one, uh, you can use your phone, or we have them in the back for you. Please don't be bashful. Just get up and grab one. Nobody's looking at you. Everybody's looking down right now. They're looking down. Keep looking down, everybody. If anybody needs a Bible, go grab one. Matthew chapter 5. And what we'll find in Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus stepping out into ministry. It's one of the first things that he says publicly uh, as, a, as a minister, I guess you would say, in his ministry. And this passage, verse 48, is found at the end of Matthew chapter 5. And it's concluding the thoughts of the first chapter and it says, again, therefore, you must be perfect as, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Remember, this sermon, as Jesus is sharing it, is all about the kingdom of God. It's an introduction to what it means to be a kingdom person. And the church hasn't been established yet, but really what he's saying is, this is what it means to be a member of my church a kingdom person. When Jesus came, he was not inviting people to, to uh, sign on to be a part of this new religion called Christianity. He was inviting them to become disciples, apprentices under him in the kingdom of God. Okay, And, and the plea here is given to Jewish people, to the Jews. And those Jewish people, they understand that holy action is essential to their lives as God's people. Right? They get it. This is a following the law, following God's standards to the T is a part of that. They understand that completely. So when Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, how is this a new teaching? What's different about what they've already been taught? You guys got to keep it all together, keep it, everything in line, cross your T's, dot your I's. What's different about what Jesus is saying here? Well, look at that second word if you're reading the ESV. If you're, you have a different version, it's in there somewhere, but the word is therefore. Now, we have a rule. It's something that we try to instill here is if you're reading your scripture and you bump into the word therefore, we always ask the question, what is the therefore? Ah, uh, you got it. Good. What is the therefore therefore? And the, the, the therefore means considering what has been said before. So anytime you see that word, jump back in the text and say, what just got said? Therefore, what, what was previous to this? So right before this, in chapter 5, we have the six, you have heard it said, I say statements. 
And Jesus talks about the Old Testament law the Jews would have been very accustomed to, and he says, you've heard it said in the law, now I say. And what Jesus is doing is he's not saying something new, he's clarifying what they have heard. So he says, you've heard that it was said, if you're looking back, I think the first one is, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I say, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He says, if you're angry, if, you're, if you have hatred towards somebody, if you have malice towards somebody, you've murdered them. Do you know we're all murderers? Oh, yay. Uh, <laughs> he says, uh, a couple uh, of them later, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who has looked in another lustfully has committed adultery with his heart. Yeah. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's connecting the thing that people do to the action of the heart. Here's what they're accustomed to. Do the right thing, do the right thing. Jesus is saying, actually, I'm looking for you to do the right thing, but I'm also as, looking for the heart behind it. So when Jesus is saying, be perfect as God is perfect, he's calling us to something even bigger. The new teaching isn't that God is just looking for your actions. He is looking for a heart with the action. God wants all of you. Just as we sing at the beginning of the service, you know what, Jesus, I don't want your blessings. I'm not here just to receive. I want you. God, in return, is saying, you know what, that's cool, because I want you too. All of you. I don't just want you, your attendance on Sunday morning. I want your heart in the gathering. I don't just want songs of worship sung from your mouth. I want a heart that is examining the meaning of the words on that screen and saying, yes, I agree, and I want this. I want you to be praised, God, and I want to examine myself as I do. I don't want your just your, your offering. Did you know God doesn't need our offering? It all is his anyway. But God wants a cheerful giver. And Isaiah is going to talk about that a little later this morning. And Paul, the apostle, he ends up echoing this, saying, and, and a lot of things he says that are done in the name of religion aren't done out of love for God. Can you imagine? A lot of things that are done in the name of religion aren't done out of love for God, even though they look good on the surface. So he says in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, we'll put this on the screen, he says, he will render to each one according to his works. Hmm. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, if you were just taking that section, it might get a little bit confusing about how Paul sees our works and the things that we do in this world. What Paul is saying here is that God sees the heart when he evaluates us. What counts with him is not just external conformity to religion, but an inward transformation from the heart that's expressed in the good works that we do. And that's disorienting for us as Christians sometimes because it almost sounds like Paul has changed his mind about how the gospel works. I mean, he just got done explaining in Romans chapter 1 that salvation is not earned through our good works, but it's given as a gift through faith. And now it sounds like in the next chapter, he's saying that God will repay us each according to our works. 
But understand that Paul has not changed his mind here. Verse 6 is a quote from Psalm 62. And, and he's helping his readers to hearken back to the psalmist in Psalm 62. He's complaining about a group of religious people who honor God with their mouths. They say all the right things and sing all the right songs while their feet are quick to run after violence. And they give an ex external show of religion, but internally they're still filled with wickedness. They are what people can't stand today, even thousands of years later, hypocrites. In other words, they give sweaters out of obligation, but their hearts are not in it. Well, God obviously wants our actions and he wants our hearts. That's a big call, isn't it? When Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, is because God is in complete alignment with his heart and his actions. In fact, it, to help us understand that and for it to maybe seem a little less unobtainable, or maybe to just draw a better distinction of what's being said, the word perfect can also be translated as complete. So you could say it this way, and it would be just fine. This is a perfectly fine translation. Be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. So if you think back across those, you have heard that it was said, I say, action and heart, action and heart, action and heart behind it. You know what? Let me summarize it all. Be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. Well, how is God complete? His action and his heart always line up. And so he says, that's what I want for you. I want your action and your heart to always be in sync. Now, how many of you pull that off? Okay, good. No liars in the crowd. Great, great. Yeah, me neither. I do not always pull that off. You know what I find out about myself? I, I can get one right a lot of the time. I can get my heart into things. Like, I really believe in this. I really believe in it. I'm not going to do anything about it. But I believe it, preacher. <laughs> oh, I've been there. And then sometimes I'll, I'll get my feet working in the right direction, but my heart's not in it. And I need something called grace. And I need practice in order to get those things lined up together. Practice. Well, that's a word that's going to come up quite a bit this year. We have to have grace along the way in this because we're not going to do it perfectly. But we can at least see the thing that we are to attain towards, a person whose actions and whose heart are connected together. Maybe we can sum it up with some, some in, in one way from the book of James. The writer James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way in uh, James 3.2. We all stumble in many ways. Amen? Can you say amen to that one, at least the first sentence? Oh, yes. I'll figure out a way to trip up, even if uh, probably one that hasn't been invented yet this week. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, look at, the, look at the whole thing together. All of us stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Wait a minute. How could anyone do that if all of us stumble? So the, the idea is that God is giving us something to attain towards. 
wants our actions. He wants our words and our actions to be in sync together. They're keeping their whole body in check. All of me is set in the right direction if words and deeds, heart and action, are in alignment with each other. But we're all, go, all going to struggle with that. When we don't struggle, when we get it right, our heart and body are aligned. He goes on to describe, um, James the writer, he goes on to describe this a little bit further. And he talks about a bit in a horse's mouth. And I, didn't, I don't know a ton about this because I haven't I've ridden a lot of horses. I, I've been on a, a few. But my grandfather was a milkman in the hills of uh, Pittsburgh for 40 years. And at the beginning of his career, he drove horses. And later on, they moved to a truck. But he would drive horses all over these hills. And if you've been to Pittsburgh, you know some of those roads are 45-degree angles, and then it gets icy like it is here. And it's a lot different than the flats in central Ohio. He was very skilled at that. So we took him to Mackinac Island. I remember one time out there, and if you've ever been there up there in Michigan, you know that there's no cars allowed. You get to, uh, There's horses and bicycles. So we uh, rented, I was very young when we did this, we rented a carriage, and we had two horses in front of it. Now the horses know what they're doing. But, um, but we, we sat him in the front, and my dad was leading them, and we said, Grandpa, would you like to drive the horses? And he was in his 70s then, and I remember as a little kid going, said, I'm in the cart. I'm a little concerned right now. Um, sure, you know, is he still driving cars? I don't know, you know. And he took those reins, and man, those horses would do anything. He, he had those things go over ditches, over this thing, up and down a hill, and I'm like, what is happening right now? Well, he was highly skilled at driving horses, and he understood that wherever the bit goes, the horse goes. And he knew how to pull back. He knew how to let out. He knew how to go a little bit to the right and the left. And um, what James says is he said, that's how the tongue of a person is. He says, from the heart, right, the tongue speaks, the mouth speaks, and the thing that happens is eventually your heart blurts out what you're thinking, and then your life goes in that direction. Your heart and your actions are tied together. And so the heart, the, the desire here is that we become people where these things are aligned. <clears throat> now, how does this, <coughs> pardon me, let me take a sip here because I'm <coughs> deteriorating my voice here, sorry. <coughs> what does this teaching have to do, what we're talking about this morning, with practicing the way that we're going to be doing this year? Well, simply this. The way of Jesus, the reason that we follow the way of Jesus in our actions is that it is God's expectation. It's God's expectation for you and me to follow the way of Jesus in our actions. The reason we follow the way of Jesus in our hearts and in our intentions is that it is God's expectation. In doing this, in aligning these things together, in doing the hard work of not just doing the right thing, but searching our hearts for the reason, and not just believing the right thing, but actually adding action to it, is that we, this is God's will for us, and we will find Him in this. Oh, I want to be connected with God more. I, I, I mean, you guys are here this morning. You're investing your time in being in church, and this is important for you, and you've made the decision to be here above all other places in your life and it's hard to get here when it's cold and you got kids and there's challenges if we're going to pour into him like this boy I want to connect with him I just want to see him I just want to understand him I want my life to have meaning that's wrapped around him you'll find him when you align these things together 
And what you'll also find is your need for him when you don't get it right. This is who we are, family. A people who know Christ in deed and in heart. And when we don't get it right, we lean deeply into him for grace. After all, the goal of a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, is to be with him. It's to be like him. And it's to do what he did. To be with Jesus. You've got to be with him to understand what he does and, and what his heart's about. To be like him, to be like him in heart, and to do what he did, to, do, to live like him in action. We want how and what we do then to line up with why we are here, right? Simon Sinek is a business leader. He's written some very well-known books in, in that uh, field in that regard, and he says this, that everything you say and everything that you do should prove what you believe. Well, if that's true in business, that is certainly true in our lives as we follow Christ. How's are actions you take to reveal what you believe? What's are the results of those actions? Now, these four-week groups, these studies, these communities that we are going to learn and live out the practices of Jesus in at MVA are how we reveal what we believe. And the peace and purpose that God will provide in us as a result is the what. For example, <clears throat> the what of Sabbath, the first practice we're going to do this year, is produced from uh, in us not to say the product is not to say I practice Sabbath yay me it's to become a person who is marked by peacefulness and rest and, and calm and kindness a person who's grounded in your own body and is at ease is not in a hurry a person who is exactly where their feet are that's my motto this year man be where your feet are just be there. How many of us, like, the second things get a little tense, we reach for that phone, you know? Or we, we're in a conversation, and there's nothing else here except me and, and, and you, and my response to what you say is, huh? How's that possible? It's because I'm not here. I'm worried about something else. I'm thinking about the next thing. Be where your feet are. A person who knows how to be present, grateful, living in God's goodness, in other words, a person who is moving closer to Jesus as they are with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what he did. So, these are the practices this year. Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude. Not working for God in these, but working with God. This is our, our formation that we're going to be doing as we move closer to Jesus. We have a part in it, and Jesus has a part in it. We call this synergy. Not, not trying to, to force ourselves to be better people, but joining God in that effort. The North African 4th century theologian Augustine said it like this, Without God, we cannot, and without us, God will not. He does the heavy lifting, but he won't do it without our investment. We can't save ourselves, right? We can't transform ourselves into people of love. Only God can do that. But what we can do is we can position ourselves in a place where transformation takes place. We can only 
move closer to the one who transforms. So how do you do that? Well, simply you take times of rest with him. You start your morning with prayer. You live in Christian community. You read scripture. We fast from the things of this world and focus on the things of God. And through the practices, we set our entire life before God and we let him do the deep work inside of us. And that brings me full circle all the way back to grace. This is why we call what we're doing this year the living the rhythms of grace. You see, the practices, they, they won't earn us favor with God. He's not going to love you more if you do these things effectively. We're not earning anything We are giving our heart and our body more fully to Jesus who already has given himself completely, fully heart and body to us. We're just returning the favor. We're just saying thank you for your complete gift. Now we want to return the same. And that's the gospel, by the way. The good news that Jesus has given himself completely for us, heart and body, all that he is, so that we can in return be living sacrifices for him. I'll say this, that we're talking a lot about rest and we talk about peace that we desperately need, but the practices do require effort. It's going to take some effort on our part. Dallas Willard, who John Mark Comer, the leader of Practicing the Way, loves to quote, says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Does that make sense? Grace isn't opposed to us doing effort and growing, it's just opposed to the idea of us trying to earn God's favor as we make our effort to approach him don't don't be misled you have been saved by grace through faith at baptism unto works and effort this is this is going to be a great year but only as we put ourselves into a position by our obedience for for god to to shape us and to grow us into people of love people that are more like jesus And that's only if we live out our why with our how and our what. Only as we let what we say and do prove what we believe. I heard a minister one time say, I don't want to see your church's belief statements. He said, I want to see what your church does, then I'll know what it believes. Now, I am I'm thrilled uh, for this. I, I've been excited about this for about a, well, a year. I've uh, been planning it for about half a year. Um, very focused on it the last three months. We've run two test groups in the church. Uh, we've done f- two four-week test groups and gotten feedback, put it before our elders, had them uh, kind of review. And, and I'm so excited to present this before you. I'm going to be 12 years here in the spring on Father's Day. And I love this family of Christ followers here, and I just deeply desire for what we have done in the last several years in, in Core and Quest and Learn and Live to have built us to a place where we're ready to really take on this challenge. And, and to be, I just, I want you to be just be filled with peace and rest and purpose in Christ through this process. But most of all, I want it to be God at work. <laughs> I don't want it to just be a neat program idea. And so I've been praying for that deeply, but, but I've also been praying against the things that I know are going to be obstacles for us. Because anything, anytime that you challenge 
yourself or others to do something that's a little different, a little new. There's always something inside us that pushes back. Because it doesn't matter how progressive or conservative you are, everybody struggles with change. That's why you're all sitting in the same places as last week. Right, now, we all kind of get into patterns, right? That's why we move the chairs around on you, just to mess with you. And, uh, we, we, we do, we have patterns, we have ways that we do things, right? And so you try something new, you, you challenge something new, there's, there's instantly something in your gut that goes, mm. And so I've been praying against those things, just God, take the obstacles out of the way. I'd like to address just a few that I think might be on some of your hearts, okay? One of them, I think, is perhaps this is a very foreign idea to me, and I'm uncomfortable with it. I understand that. Um, <clears throat> maybe you've never looked at faith in this way. Maybe it's, it's a challenge to take life and belief uh, to take action and belief and, and heart and action and, and tie those things together. Maybe that level of investment in your life in Christ is something new to you. Maybe you bought into the transactional version of salvation that so many were taught for so long in the evangelical church. You know the transactional version? Come to Jesus, get all your sins forgiven, all done. Now think of him sometimes and show up for church now and then. That's revivalism. It's not in here. It's not in here. That's not how Jesus taught the gospel. Kind of like a really unhealthy marriage, actually, if that's the way the gospel is lived out in our lives. Basically, I will commit to you. I do. I do. Great. I'll get to know you when I'm dead. <laughs> That's, that's what we say to Jesus, you know. Thanks for the gift of eternal life. Uh, I'll be over here. I appreciate it. I'll thank you sometimes. Sing you a nice song here and there. But there's no joy or practical need for a spouse like that. Or maybe, maybe it's just generally intimidating. Maybe we're talking about this thing, like, I don't know if I can slow down. You know, the, the, practicing this out is going to be hard. Well, let me respond to that with this answer. Start small. The way the practices are built is you can start small with every one of them. Sabbath is traditionally experienced on, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And you might say, 24 hours? I, I can't even get an hour into my schedule where I can slow down right now. That's okay. Start with 45 minutes. Start with an hour. Start with your afternoon. Make your Sabbath a, a Sunday morning worship and an afternoon afterwards. We had people in our practices and our test groups who did that. And as they got comfortable and, and were able to adapt it into their lives, they grew that practice. Start where you are. If you're trying to start a prayer practice, don't, don't say, I'm going to pray for an hour with kids awake in the house. That's not going to work. I raised three, I know, and they were kind of docile, but still, you know what I mean? Lord, I, ow, you know, you I get it. Start where you can, start small. Recite the 23rd Psalm as you're rolling out of bed to the crying child in the other room, right? Or while you're rocking them and they're finally drifting off to sleep, pray it over them. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Start small, start where you can. 
These things are built to be able to do that. You don't have to be intimidated by these practices. You can start where you are at. The second thing that I think might pop up is I can't add one more thing. I can't add one more thing. You don't know my schedule. You don't know my life. If you are anything like most people today, you might be right. This is a fight, though, against hurry and adding more and more. The reality of the modern day is that many of us are just too busy to enjoy Jesus and to know God in our faith. So, think subtraction, not addition. I would like you to say that with me. Think subtraction, not addition. Okay, when, when a church invites you to the journey of Jesus nowadays, I fear that sometimes we just say, hey, we got 17 programs. We want you to be a part of this, 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 volunteer here. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. What if we flip the script on that a little bit and we think subtraction in our lives, not addition, because Jesus invites us to a burden, but it's a lighter one. He invites us to rest for our souls. So if we're going to follow the way of Jesus, we're going to have to make room for him it's not a call to do more it's a call to do less to clear your life not to clutter it so if you're going to move this practice into your life you may have to take inventory and do some house cleaning what are some habits that you have said yes to that you need to say no to because the way of jesus and his easy yoke is calling us away from the burdens of the way of me can I be fully transparent with you? Sometimes I, I, I've got into this pattern where if I don't get me time to be entertained at night after the kids go to bed, then my day wasn't complete. Like if I don't get an hour with Netflix or video game or something, I'm like, oh, I'm grumpy. I deserve that. And so you stay up too late, and then you can't get up very early. You, you look like this in the morning. Hey, Beth, hey, Derek. I'm really rested. I'm glad I got my entertainment time, right? <laughs> I never look like that early in the morning, do I? <laughs> Not Mondays, yeah. Um, there may be some inventory and some house cleaning we have to do of the unnecessary things so that we can find the beauty of what it means to follow Christ. Thanks, subtraction, not addition. Thirdly, um, how about this one? I've tried before and nothing really changed. I could imagine this being something that some might feel. And this is a tough one. And it's not because there's not an answer. It's because there are so many answers to this. Now, one is in what I shared earlier, is that Jesus teaches body and heart, action and heart are required for us to experience kingdom movement. And maybe in the past, we didn't give both. But, most of the issue is in the question itself look at that question i tried before and nothing really changed what is the question indicated indicates that i did it and i stopped and i want to encourage you on this there is no formation without repetition forming into a person of christ-like love is not a four-week effort The practices begin the journey, but it is the steadiness of effort over time that brings change. And sometimes there are moments where it feels kind of boring. 
You know, rarely do I feel transformation when it is happening. I loved Derek's statement on this when he says, you know, it's very rare when you stop and go, I think I'm growing, right? I can't do it like he does it, but you know, it's very rare that you feel that. I, I think I'm, I'm transforming into maturity right now. Wow, right? But practicing the way of Jesus over time has a cumulative effect, and God is at work in those moments, even when we maybe can't sense it. And this is, again, why Jesus spent years with his followers, preparing them for the handoff. And even then they had a lot to learn. You know, it wasn't until about a decade later that after the ascension that Peter got over his aversion to the Gentiles being in the church. Ten years after Jesus left. If it takes a church father ten years to get over what we would call elitism at best and racism at worst, we also have to accept that our formation takes time. And we can't say, well, I tried it before and nothing happened. So start and stick with it this time. I'm going to give you a little inspirational word here from the great inspirational speaker, Shia LaBeouf, to help out, okay? Shia, take it away. Just give him, give him a word. If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. I just like how he disappears into the background as mysteriously as he came. If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. It is a lifelong journey of repetition, and that's where we see growth happen. Spiritual disciplines are like the karate kid. You think you're waxing Mr. Miyagi's car. You think you're nailing up the gazebo, but actually you're becoming a karate master. In the moment, you think, well, I'm just reading my Bible in the morning, I'm resting, I'm praying, I'm going to church, but over time you are becoming more like Jesus. <clears throat> now, lastly, another option is you might hear all of this, <clears throat> and you might think, I don't think, I'm, I don't think that's my issue, like, I don't think I'm busy. I, you might say, I don't feel the weight you are describing right now, Jeff. I, I don't feel that. Well, a few responses to that. And the first one is, wow! Wow! That's amazing. And I'm not, I'm not being facetious. You are a diamond in the rough in our modern world if this is where you're at. Like, you, you're free of anxiety and worry and full of margin, and you have a healthy rhythm of life that allows you to personally love fully and be present with God always and to be fully present with others. You are to be commended for your intentional work to get there. I am. Not, I mean, that's awesome if that's where you're at. I would suggest that it is possible that you might not have the whole picture of what it is to be a centered person of peace and love. For example, there's a very big difference between a day off and a day of Sabbath. There's a very big difference between a generally nice person and a person who is, is full of the love of God towards others. See, God has room for all of us to grow in our understanding of what it means to set aside intentional time to rest in his presence and become a person of Christ-like love. 
But let's just say that you truly are in a position where this challenge doesn't resonate with you. Again, I say, praise the Lord for where you're at in your life. And I want you to know this, that you are unique amongst those in our world today. If that is the case, you have a wonderful opportunity this year to use the margin and the peacefulness that you've created in your life to bless the many who do not have it. You see, it is not that, well, this thing doesn't seem like it's for me here at MVA this year. It's the exact opposite. Instead, there is a paved way for you to minister to those who don't have your unique blessing. If this doesn't resonate with you, it is your time to serve those who don't have what you have. So join a group, share your perspective, minister to those who are in need around you, and better yet, lead a group, share your perspective. We could use it. Now, it is possible that your life stage, wherever you're at, it makes it impossible for you to join us on this journey. And maybe you just received a diagnosis. Maybe there's a massive life shift happening for you right now. We're sensitive to that. But this is a formation journey that we are taking together. We are forming ourselves into the way of Jesus to follow him in this lifelong endeavor and when you're able to join us on it, join us. But until then, be with us on Sundays. Worship as you can. We want you to understand, though, where we are going as a church. And the invitation to join us is always open. But know this. There is no other journey for us than the way of our rabbi, Jesus. There's no other way. And this is the journey we are taking. It's going to be full of challenge. It's going to be full of blessing. We choose the path of synergy, working not just for God, but with God in this rhythms of life that he has created. I want to close with a story this morning, if my voice will allow me. <clears throat> Early in the 20th century, the English explorer Ernest Shackleton set out to explore the Antarctic. Ronald Abbasson, a Norwegian, had only just become the first explorer to reach the South Pole, leaving one remaining conquest, the crossing of the continent via the southernmost tip of the earth. The land part of the expedition would start at the Weddell Sea below South America and travel 1,700 miles across the South Pole to the Ross Sea just below New Zealand. So if you can imagine how that would work on the map. The cost, Shackleton estimated at the time, would be around $250,000. The crossing of the South Polar Continent will be the biggest polar journey ever attempted, Shackleton told a reporter of the New York Times on December 29th, 1913. And just for context, what people would have been thinking about the year before, 1912, is when the Titanic went down. The unknown fields in the world which are still unconquered are narrowing down, but there still remains this great work, he said. On December 5th, 1914, Shackleton and a crew of 27 men set out for the Weddell Sea on the Endurance, 
a 350-ton ship that had been constructed with funds from private donors, the British government, and that was it. He was low on funds, so donations from English school children paid for the dogs that would guide the dog sleds. But the crew of the Endurance would never reach the continent of Antarctica. Just a few days out of South Georgia Island in the southern Atlantic, the ship encountered mile after mile of pack ice and was soon trapped as the winter moved in early and with a fury, maybe even more furious than yesterday in Marion, Ohio. Ice closed in around the ship like an almond in a piece of toffee, a crew member's note that he had written said that they had discovered. Shackleton and his crew were stranded in the Antarctic for 10 months as the endurance drifted slowly north until the pressure of the ice flows finally crushed the ship. On November 21st, 1915, the crew watched as she sank in the frigid waters of the Weddell Sea, standing on a big chunk of ice. Stranded on that ice, the crew of the Endurance boarded their, life, their three lifeboats and landed on Tiny Elephant Island. There, Shackleton left behind all but five of his men and embarked on a hazardous journey across 800 miles of rough seas to find help, which they eventually did. And that's what makes the story of the Endurance so remarkable, not the expedition that was a failure but it was that throughout the whole ordeal nobody died there was no story of anybody eating somebody else there was no mutiny 27 guys 28 were united together this was not luck and that's because Shackleton found the right men for the job when you have a group of people who believe in the same purpose success just happens and how did Shackleton find this amazing crew? Well, it was just with an ad that he put in the London Times. Now, if you put out an ad in the newspaper or maybe online for a job today on Monster or Craigslist or whatever, you will often try to hire someone, and, and the way that they do it is largely the same. They pro we provide a list of qualifications and expectations that the best candidate will be able to meet. And the issue is how those ads get written they are about what needs to be done and not why a one ad might read that you might read for example uh, account executive needed minimum five years experience must have working knowledge of the industry come work with a fantastic fast-growing company and great pay and great benefits the ad might produce a load of applicants but how do we know who's right for the fit well, Shackleton's ad for crew members was a little different. He did not say what he was looking for. His ad did not say, men needed for expedition, minimum five years experience, must know how to hoist mainsail, come work for a fantastic captain. Rather, Shackleton was looking for those with something more. He was looking for a crew that belonged on such an expedition. And so his ad actually ran like this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. See, the only people that applied for the job were those who 
read the ad and thought it sounded great. Wouldn't you love to have seen that crew? I'm here for the boat job. They loved insurmountable odds. The only people that had applied for the job were already survivors. Shackles had hired only people who believed what he believed and lived the way that he lived. The invitation to follow Jesus is not exclusively given. It's exclusively followed, though. See, Jesus has not invited us to believe in him, and that's it. To have a transactional moment, and then we're in. He's invited us to a journey, and not just any journey. A journey to know him and to become like him in our hearts and live like him with the actions of our bodies. It will be hard at times. It is a call similar to Shackleton's. There is adventure ahead, but he also calls us to rest. Maybe his invitation would be something like this if he put an ad in the paper. Men and women wanted for hazardous journey. Narrow roads, a cross to carry, persecution just like the prophets assured, challenging work with eternal significance. Now, rest and peace for the soul. Now, safe arrival to an eternal reward, 100% assured. Honor. And belonging given success not dependent on you but on a God who literally cannot fail we want you to find purpose in the work and the most important work for the anxious and tired soul is rest in him as I said as I have just grown in my life to love this family so much. And this is my deep desire for you. It's your leadership's desire for you to know purpose in work and peace and rest and live in the rhythms of the way of Jesus. And to that end, we invite you on a journey. This week, <clears throat> wow, it's going, buddy. Um, this week, we did trainings for five nights uh, for those who will lead our four-week groups. Four four-week groups starting two weeks from now. And the call to lead those groups was answered in an amazing and dramatic way. Um, we want to invite you to consider when you can be a part of those groups that start in two weeks, and we have a sign-up for them in the back. Um, we don't have five groups available. We don't have 10. We have 23 groups available to you to join. 23 individuals and families who said we want to be a part of helping MVA to practice the way of Jesus and we'll invite you into our homes and whatever it takes and with me could you because I'm not sure I don't, Beth I'm looking at you I, my heart has not been swelled in such a way by the investment of God's people in this church in a while and um, like this and it just means so much to me that you guys are stepping up would you give those folks a round of applause for being bold and doing that right now? So here's the, the good news. We have a group uh, option for you on every single day of the week. Uh, there should be something that fits into your schedule. 
And so you can see those at the back door, and we encourage you to go there and just put your name in one of those places, one of those slots. Um, if there's a couple, you can put your name or both, and we'll, we'll find out which one works best because there's some that are going to fill up. The ideal number is six to eight people in each group. If you get too much bigger than that, it's hard to do uh, the discussion time, but, but it can still happen. But uh, we encourage you to, to be a part of this journey with us. I am so thankful to be able to go on it. But once again, would you, would you pray with me against the, the, the things that are going to get in the way, which inevitably will, but would you also just pray with me that this would be God's work in us and not just a neat program, but God helping to drive people to his way, to peace and rest and purpose in our lives so that we can draw others to Jesus' way. And so this is the last challenge of the morning. And I know it takes a lot of time today, but I'm just passionate about this. I know there are people in your life right now that are struggling with the burdens of life. They're anxious, they're tired, and they're burned out. And I know those same people might have a hard time if you said, come to church with me on Sunday morning. But they might be the people who, if you said, hey, we're going to do something at my house or at a friend's house, and we're just going to talk for four weeks about how to handle the kind of stress that all of us are kind of under right now, I'd love to invite you to that. Would you be bold to do it? Maybe it's that one that we worked on last year that we're, we're praying for still, perhaps. Or maybe it's someone else. But be bold to do it because God can do amazing things when we just share the way of Jesus with others. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we hear you calling us to a life where our heart and our actions are aligned. And I pray, God, that you would forgive me where those two things have not been in order. I thank you for your grace that is full and greater than my sin and all of our sin. And Father, as you call us to deeper waters, to a place where we can open up a bowl where we can just receive your goodness and your glory in our lives, your hope and your peace and your rest and your purpose in our work, I pray that you would just um, do that work in us, that you would help us to be bold to sign up and to get engaged and to give you what you desire, our work, our heart, all of us, because you have given all of you. This we thank you for, and we spend some time now worshiping you for, in Jesus' name, amen. My name is Dave Daly, and I'm the discipleship pastor at Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Westside, which was planted and grown in an environment of offering lots of programs and classes to people, and that was great for engagement and poor for depth and discipleship. Post-pandemic, where we were looking at the landscape of what the church, not just our church, but Big C Church was in the moment, people were being discipled and formed uh, in often terrible ways. <laughs> and so there was like a palpable desire. We have to form people differently, which was totally overwhelming. And then I heard about practicing the way and it was a breath of fresh air. It was a gift from God and it has been transformational for people's life and walk with Jesus. So we did the, the Sabbath practice and that was beautiful and people jumped right into the prayer and that was bigger even than the Sabbath practice and f fasting. And what has happened is a core group of people have 
really latched on to the practicing the way material, but formation as a way of being with Jesus completely. There's a young woman named Allie, and Allie had a background. Her whole life had been formed in meditation, yoga, breath work. She did not have a church background. She did not know Jesus. And she had an encounter with Jesus in one of her meditation practices. The Holy Spirit just showed up. Jesus showed up in her practice. And she came out of that and said, well, I have to find a Jesus place where they're talking about this. And she saw our church and she came the Sunday that we were introducing Practicing the Way to our church. And she said, oh, practice, yeah, I know that. I'll go to the practice that they offer, the Jesus people. And she stepped into the Sabbath practice and the prayer practice and fasting. And it made me just think someone whose life has been shaped around practice can take the things God's pouring and hold it. She's now leading prayer classes. She got baptized at our church. And I think the reason it's moved along so deeply is she was like, yeah, practice. That's what spiritual people do. And the church, that's foreign. And so we are actually beginning a journey of introducing this idea that practices are the ways we deepen the container of all that God wants to pour in to us as his people and get it out of our heart into our, our bodies and our soul and our engagement with community. It's so expansive and we've limited it to this small area of the way we think about God. And I think practicing the way is this pathway for us to begin to explore how we expand that for the whole church.